You're listening to the Up in Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit upinfrisco.com. Man, we could just stay in an atmosphere of prayer all night. It's just one of those moments. This is where we go. I found as times get more, the Lord had me living in Psalm 2 for about seven years, which is in short, when nations start raging, when there's chaos, confusion, lawlessness, uh, seeking to break off the bonds and the cords. And it's really when the enemy's last attempt to steal from Jesus his inheritance, namely the land of Jerusalem, the, the land. And what's interesting to me in Psalm 2 is that Jesus isn't screaming at nations and kings and judges. He's making eye contact with the Father. And Jesus is in intercession when he says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Ask of me and I will give nations as your inheritance. And I feel as days and the chaos and the confusion and the craziness breaks in, I find that it's a call to come out of the storm and make fresh eye contact with the Father, receiving what he says over us and letting his words be the loudest And then out of that place, praying for our inheritance in this nation and praying for Jesus' inheritance in this nation. I want to learn how to come out of the storm. That's where you get your authority. Matthew 8, Jesus isn't swirled. He's sleeping in the middle of a storm. He's sleeping in the middle of a storm. And then out of that, he wakes up. And from that place of rest and authority, he speaks to the winds and the waves And I believe that the Lord wants to bring us into a union, into the rest of Christ in this hour. It's humility. We need to shut up. We need to put our hands over our mouth. We need to put our face to the dust. And we need to hear God and reconnect with him and so that he would recommission a prophetic people again in the earth. Isaiah 6, and this is not where I'm going tonight, but... What, you just can't, you know, act like this wasn't a crazy week. Isaiah 6, Isaiah gets commissioned in, his, in the sixth chapter, and it says in the year that King Uzziah died. You ever wondered about that phrase? In the year that King Uzziah died. Uzziah was one of the most famous and prosperous kings in Israel's history, in Judah's history. 52 years, 52 years he reigned as king. And for a lot of it, he was one of the greatest, and he did really good. But towards the end, he got prideful. He began to disconnect his heart from the priest, and he began to get strong in his heart, and he got so drunk on his own pride, he thought he could go into the temple and burn incense. And when he was in there trying to burn incense, the priest began to confront him, and when he tried to stop it, leprosy broke out all on him. And he ended up dying in shame and hiddenness because of the leprosy. What was in the inside came on the outside. And it so blows me away that Isaiah gets commissioned in the sixth chapter in the year that King Uzziah died. I think that's interesting for many points. I have my own thoughts about it that there's a connection between the death of political messiahs and into the encounter with the real Messiah. And I believe it's in that kind of moment when the church gets her heart stripped 
from looking to any man, and I have all my own personal beliefs and convictions as a conservative voter and all those things, but there's a difference as a prophet. And when God's going to release a prophetic people into the earth, they've got to get their hearts disconnected from the second heaven's narratives and all the second heaven witchcraft, warfare, and they got, and it was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and he heard the angels singing to one another, holy, 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 Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And what was the first thing that hit Isaiah? Woe is me, because I don't know what I've been talking about. His eye, your lips get exposed when your eyes get opened. And he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. And it was in that broken state, God says, good. I got you right where I want you. Sends one of the angels to him with a, with a tongue, a took coals from the altar. And it touched his lips. And the Lord purified his voice. That's my greatest is that we could get a voice again back in our culture. We could, get, we could get a word that breaks through all the other voices and narratives. and We could get something from a higher place and that shakes and that the post of the door shake again when the voice of God is spoken. That's what I believe is going to happen. God is going to bring forth a prophetic roar out of his people that's going to shake powers and principalities. That's going to confront darkness that's going to confront idolatry, that's going to confront all forms of sin. God, do it. Have mercy on us, Jesus. So let's, let's get into that. Let's get into that vein anyway. I wasn't even planning on talking about that. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I think, and, and I think it's a great segue with what Jeremy kicked off tonight is, is, I am feeling it growing more and more and more in my heart. We are in the middle of the greatest, one of the greatest reformations and transitions in human history. just want to say that to you. I want to set the stage, guys. I've said it several times, I think at the start of 2020, and everything we walked through in 2020, I kept asking the Lord, I said, Lord, I want it to change. I want things to go back to normal. And I kept hearing him saying, Corey, it's not You've crossed a threshold into a new season. We're in, the earth is in transition. All right, where earth is in transition. Jesus would liken this to, in the same way that a woman goes into transition before having a child, birth pangs. And we're at the beginning of that birth pang season. It's not a time of fear. It's, it's going to be the church's greatest hour. We're going to come out of fear and compromise and lethargy and living in two worlds. And we're going to come into radiant, bright righteousness. We're going to come into all the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God, and the power of the gospel going forth. But we need to understand business as usual is never going back. We're moving into something new. And I believe we're in the middle of a great reformation in the church. I believe the pressure's in our, in our nations and in the earth, the groans of creation, global pandemics, global pen, pestilences, all kinds of realities, whether they're fabricated or real, whatever. 
<laughs> so for everything I say in the room, everybody's got four thoughts. So we got to shoot them down one by one. <laughs> yeah, like, hey, ain't a real one. So, <laughs> so um, we're we're in transition. <laughs> And I believe that in all of 2019, the Holy Spirit was screaming to me, wineskins are changing, wineskins are changing. And, and I, I just want to say it to you, I believe that the church and the way that we do local church is in a radical transition. I've said it this way for a long time, I believe the days of Sunday-only Christianity are over. Note only, I'm excited. When he said Sunday morning, I got excited. Yes. But, it's, but what he's delivering us from is from the 45-minute, 20-buck investment and check off our box so we can live disconnected the other six days and 23 hours from our week. But God is beginning to release a, a, a reformation and a change in the earth. And it has to do with the, the Lord stamping his people with our eternal identity, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Do you know that's our eternal identity? It's not Mike Bickles in Kansas City. It's not some Korean pastor and who had prayer mountain for 50 years. Isaiah 56, Isaiah prophesied. Can you put Isaiah 56, 7 up here? So I want you to feel that, that we're in the middle of transition I'm glad to be alive. I'm glad to be here. It's going to be the greatest outpouring. See, I believe you got to get wineskins changed so you can handle new wine. He's not going to release what he wants to release in structures that can't contain. And maybe what was useful in a previous season will not be useful in the next season. And so we've been in the midst of a shift. I love this. He says, even them I will bring to my holy mountain. And look at this. I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The thing that I love about verse 7 is that first phrase where it says, even them. There's an ultimate expression of this that's going to take place even after Jesus returns. But what it's speaking to is this spirit. God's going to take the most jacked up, the most disqualified, the people that have barely made it to the point of where they're at. God's going to flex in showing his extravagant mercy and extravagant grace in bringing disqualified people into intimacy and into accessing his heart in a way we've never seen it before. It's going to be a huge blanket of grace that's going to knock down all the walls, knock down all the barricades that have kept the holy people talking to God. And there's going to be such a revelation of the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of God, the love of God, that God's going to flex on the even them. <laughs> the even thems. So if you jacked up, you qualify. We made it. That's why I love to say, and we'll get to that later, because it's one of it's my favorite way to start a prayer time. It's good to be here. It makes me present, but it also it's like talking to an old friend saying, you know, 
that I know, that you know, that I know. I shouldn't be here. But I am. And God, you're the only one to blame for this. <laughs> We're here. When you live with that sense of gratitude, it's not about whatever's not happening. He's God, you've been so kind to me. You delivered me because you delighted in me. Your gentleness has made me great. He will be the only one to blame in the coming days. It's not going to be about how awesome we are. Even them I will bring to my holy mountain and look at the first defining you know, emotion that's going to touch people in prayer, joy. He said, I'm going to make them joyful in my house of prayer. Right now, when most of us think of prayer, we think boredom, drudgery, and discipline. But God says, I'm going to put a smile on everyone that comes into my presence. Because he is the happy God. In his presence are pleasures. In his presence is joy. He is the joyful God. And one of the ways that we're going to see an explosion of joy take place in the house of prayer, new views of God are coming back to the church. We're going to start seeing God differently than we've seen him before. He won't be the angry, disappointed, mostly upset that you're not doing more face of God, but it will be the, the glad God, the glad father, the excited father that fights for sons and daughters to come into intimacy with him. It's the longing of the Father for all of his children to be in the house. I will make them joyful. New views of God, new views of you. And it's going to free the heart of the religious bound. It's going to free the heart of the sin bound and the performance bound. It's going to free us into joy. New views of God. God's going to anoint singers and musicians to lead the charge. And we're going to find joy in the presence of God. As the singers and the musicians, our prayers are riding on the rhythms and on their waves. Even them. He goes, my house. I love it. Can you put that verse back up there? I love God's zeal. He goes, my house. Everybody say, my house. My house. Everybody has their own culture and everybody's house. Everybody has all your unspokens. Everybody has your own spoken culture. And God says, if there's one thing I'm going to define my house and my people by, it's going to be a house and a people of prayer. Now, that's insightful. That's insightful into what God feels about prayer and how God defines his house. I believe with all my heart that is going to come front and center before Jesus returns. He didn't call it a house of evangelism, healing, deliverance. All those things happen, but the primary identifier of the house is access and intimacy and government. Access, intimacy, and government with God. My house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. We're in the middle of it. Everybody good? Good, good, good. <laughs> that was point one. Why am I saying that? Because do you know how excited I get? Do you know how excited angels get when they see the little slide come up earlier about 
the four, four slots a week and how you had a full set. Do you, know you know how beautiful that is to God? In Zechariah 4, it says that the eyes of the Lord, the seven-eyed spirit, the seven spirits of God are rejoicing to see the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. And you know, I'm not going to go into all of that. Her mom wrote a great book on it. The point is this. It was a fledgling little prayer ministry, and it looked really pathetic to everybody out there. And Zerubbabel says, do you have any idea what the seven spirits around the throne feel about what you're doing? We are in a shift, and it's a people who are here for him, a people who are called to minister to him. And look at him. You're not called to say, well, pastor, I'm going to pay you to go talk to God for me. The walls are being knocked down and the Lord's saying, no, we're knocking down every barrier. All of you are called to priest before me. I don't care if you got a 50-hour week construction or stay-at-home mom or this or that. All of you are going to come. You're going to draw near to the throne and we're going to join together in the place of prayer. It's in the place where God writes his words on our heart and he, re, he delivers us from the narratives of our culture. He delivers us from the toxicity of our social media outlets and our television outlets and we get washed from all the defilement, all the witchcraft, all the confusion, all the chaos. We get the crap knocked off of us so that we can begin to connect with God's perspective again. God speaks the word, and it moves our heart. We then speak the word back to God, and it moves his heart. And he says, I just want you to come. That's the power of worship and prayer. God's resources are released into the earth through worship and prayer. Why am I saying this? Because we are steadily moving into the generation of the Lord's return. Okay? Everybody say, well, do you know? Do you know? Nobody knows. No man knows. But there are clear signs of the generation that we're living in. All right? We ain't got to be afraid of that. This is an hour to knock off fear and get alive. Our bridegroom is coming. We just celebrated the Christmas season. We're talking about that full-grown Jewish man. He ain't coming as a baby on a little, you know, stork thing. He's coming. Full-grown Jewish man is going to split the sky and is going to come back to fight for love and is going to establish his kingdom on this earth. This is what we were made for. This is what the whole earth longs for and groans for. And the church before he returns is going to come out of the dirty garments of sin and the dirty garments of fear-based religion, and we're going to come into bridal garments, and we're going to come into intimacy with God. Revelation twenty-two seventeen, one of the last verses of your Bible says, the spirit and the bride say, you know why he's going to come back? Because we want him to. <laughs> we got to shoot all those pre-tribulation ideas in the head. It's going to awaken a church across the earth that love him. Look at, can you put Revelation twenty two seventeen 17 up here? He's going to come back for a lovesick bride, a church that wants him. 
Revelation 22. And the spirit of the bride say, come. That right there is a prophecy of where we're going. Three things. Hear me. Three things. The church and the Holy Spirit are going to come into unity with one another. Number two, the church is going to come into a bridal identity. And number three, she will be anointed with the spirit of prayer. God's going to use great presence, the greatest outpouring of the spirit we've ever seen. A billion soul harvest. And we're going to see great pressure. God uses presence and pressure to produce prayer. That's why I'm excited about the rumblings that are happening right now in our nation. God's delivering us. There's pressure and there's presence and it's going to deliver us from doing Christianity in our own strength and wisdom and how connected we are to everything and it's going to begin to bring about a deeper union and unity with the Holy Spirit. It's going to deliver us from individualism and isolation. All right. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Everybody say, Holy Spirit. I'm here to tell you right now, presence and pressure in your life. God has only two ingredients for all of us, right? Two ingredients. Glory, he meets you at church to prepare you for the glory of walking through different things in your life. Everybody's got different storylines. Everybody's got the pressure points. Everybody's got the glory points. And God uses, and just when you're breaking and you can't take no more, he blows you a kiss and lights you up again. You're like, come on, somebody. And when you get to strutting, he prepares you right to walk into another. And God keeps you in the furnace of and ah and your whole life. And what it's producing is a greater intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I need you, God. And as you grow in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, he is going to deliver you from wrong views of God and wrong views of yourself. And he's going to teach you and prepare you as a bride for the bridegroom. Do you know that you're going to marry the Lamb of God one of these days? We are all collectively going to marry that man. We're going to be presented to him as a virgin, a chaste virgin, glorious and without spot and without wrinkle is what Ephesians 5 says. And when the, and that's going to be amazing. That's what we're being prepared for. God will use the nitrogen of the spirit meeting the glycerin of a bridal church. It's going to release a global explosion called Come Lord Jesus. Luke 18, Jesus says there's going to be a cry of a church crying out for justice. And Jesus is going to break in with great justice in the last days. You know what justice is? Jesus making wrong things right. And God has connected the release of his justice with his people crying out, rooted in intimacy. That's what he says in Luke 18, 7. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Next verse. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Intimacy, perseverance rooted in intimacy will release justice into the earth. 
Revelation 5, verse 8. Just a couple more verses. Jesus takes the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders. They fell down. They had a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. I'm here to tell you that all of our prayers are going to materialize into real bowls in heaven and that there's coming a day where those bowls will be poured out upon the earth. Why am I spending my time talking about prayer like this and where we're going? Because I want you to understand that we're in the middle of the transition and God moving us into it. I want to share a couple of other things. These are my thoughts on 2020. I believe 2020 exposed prayerlessness in the church. It did a whole bunch of things. But one of the big things that I saw, because everybody ran to chat rooms, and I didn't see a lot of praying going on. I saw a lot of opinion giving. And I believe 2020 exposed prayerlessness in the church. And I believe as we embark on the days ahead, we must cultivate watching and praying so that we aren't found medicating our hearts in other places and are unable to stand in the coming days. We will look to anything for a drug. We will look to Facebook for a drug, Instagram for a Twitter, whatever. We'll run to a new social media. We'll run to this. We'll run to that. We'll run to alcohol. We'll run to all these things. Jesus says in Luke 21, 34, take heed. Can you put that verse up there? Take heed to yourselves. Luke 21, 34. Take heed to yourselves. I, I, you got, I got to just wait because I want you to see this verse. This is Jesus' last verse after taking 30 verses of talking about the coming of the end times, the Antichrist, and all the intense days preceding the coming of the Lord. Jesus, what do we do? How many guns? How much water? How much toilet paper? Just give me the list. Costco is running out. What Jesus, uh, Jesus says, I guess he says ravens are going to bring you toilet paper. I don't know. <laughs> Cross that bridge when we get there. But look at Jesus' one pastoral recommendation, his exhortation to us in light of the hide your kids, hide your wife, craziness of the end times. All the craziness of the end times. Jesus gave us one exhortation. He says, pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to yourself. Lest your hearts get weighed down with three things that are coming upon the earth. Carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. He says, in that day, come on you unexpectedly. He says, what I'm looking for you in this hour is that you're not medicating. As pressure comes in your life, chaos, confusion, craziness, you are paying attention to the buoyancy of your heart and the present connection you have with me. That is the highest priority of your life and that you're cultivating intimacy and buoyancy, a light spirit. You're cultivating an attentive spirit. You're not found in the party spirit, the carousing, the drunkenness, which is 
medicating. What are you medicating with? And Jesus says, you really don't want to go down that path. You want to be attentive. And then he continues on in verse 35. He says, but pray, watch therefore, pray always that you would be counted worthy to escape these things. Stand before the Son of Man. Just a couple more minutes. I spent 18 years in Kansas City, part of the International House of Prayer. They've gone 20, uh, 20 plus years, day and night prayer. 1982, Mike Bickle was in Cairo, Egypt, and he was doing an around-the-world tour asking for God's heart for the poor of the earth. And he was in a dirty old uh, hotel room one night, and the fear he's praying, and the fear of the Lord came into the room, and he began to tremble. And as he was trembling, he heard the Lord say, I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. I want to say that again. I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. Mike understood that the understanding was how the church would function. Well, the first one, the understanding was how the lost would view the church, and the expression was how the church would function. And I believe that he is changing it. We are in the beginning of this global change. And I I don't think we're ever going to, I think we'll look back. We are at the beginning of this global reformation on how the church functions. And I believe at the heart of this message is the priority and the centrality of prayer and worship in the local church context. I believe God's going to take prayer from a dirty word where just a few do it. And I believe he's going to take it from a backroom word and a backroom reality, and he's going to make it a frontroom reality. And I believe upper room, I said this to Dallas about three weeks ago, and I'll say it to Frisco. And this is what I'm excited. I'm laboring. I'm the, I guess what they call the global prayer room director. I'm building it in Dallas. My whole agenda this year is rallying as many as I can that we unify our world around Thanksgiving worship and intercession. Trace, Ava, all of us are running in this, and it's unifying our culture. And then I want to get up here on the back end of the year and invite hundreds to come up to Frisco to blow a trumpet to say, let's fill up morning, noon, and night in Frisco. Let's get this engine popping. Let's get this engine humming to where morning, noon, and night, morning, noon, and night. Why? Is it just to fill up something? No, it's because this is what the Holy Spirit's doing. This is what the Holy Spirit's saying. I'm not doing it to come up with a new way to do church. I care less. I'm doing it because he said prayer and worship would be at the heart of the change, and his house is a house of prayer. And right now, it's a house that glorifies man. It's a, it's a house that In many ways, we look to men, and Jesus started his ministry, and he ended his ministry by the cleansing of the temple. And what was he saying? You've made this thing way too hard. You've complicated all of this. You've made it about four steps over here, three steps over here, and we need all those things. He says, but my father's house is a house of prayer. You were made for me. You were made for intimacy. You were made to sit on chairs and get washed in the love of God, to get rewired, to get reformed, to get changed on the inside. 
See, we're in an hour to where there's an expediting going on. I'm not doing very good with my teaching, preaching tonight. I'll just prophesy. This is what we're in an hour. Why we need morning, noon, and night. Because, and, and, and I want to emphasize some things that maybe you haven't heard. I want to imp- emphasize the word corporate. Doing it together. Doing prayer meetings together. I love my personal devotional time. I love sitting on the back porch watching deers eat in the feeder. I don't have deers and I don't have a feeder. But most of us have the perfect idea of the perfect quiet time. We're utmost force high, it just hits just right. <laughs> and the coffee's just right. And the music's just right. And the kids or everybody away is just right. Enough time. <laughs> and we love all the just rights. I love my individual time, and sometimes I get cranky if I don't get it. If I don't get enough, Dana says, just go upstairs. <laughs> but I want you to understand something that the church was birthed in a corporate prayer meeting. Okay? It was 120 together. And the Joel 2 spirit is everybody come off your islands of how you like to do it and of all your excuses why you don't do it. Let me hit something. Can I hit something? We can live behind our, I got 50 hours a week, I got this, I got that. I want to give you a vision that you would own an evening as a family. That you would begin to say, kids, that's what we're going to do. Instead of just being, I'd rather be, I'm going to be exhausted somewhere. Might as well be exhausted here. Owning a set as a family to prioritize. This is when we find ourselves on the wall. Why does it matter? Because we're cultivating that we're here for God. See, the issue of the house of prayer is turning the humanistic gospel on its head. We're here for him. We're here to minister to him. We're here to look at him. And I feel like he wants to bring forth a corporate expression that's why I said the days of Sunday only Christianity, they make for good one-liners we all clap about, but it never really touches Monday through Saturday. It's a little too invasive. Let's chill. We don't get cultish. We don't get crazy. And yet, this is what the Joel 2 spirit is about. Come off your islands. Find yourself in the room. You know Why? Do you know why? And this is what I was saying earlier. Do you know why I've got to get my behind sitting in this chair? Because I need Ava and I need Trace. I need them to sing love songs about Jesus. Because the power of corporate is you need me and I need you. And I want to tell you this about the power of corporate. The ceiling is lifted. There is an expression of corporate fullness that isn't discovered individually. There's something, I don't, as soon as I walked in, I came in, dragging in a little bit tonight, as soon as I got into pre-service prayer, my spirit immediately rose, and I felt the power of the community of the saints doing this thing together. I believe God wants to begin to bind families around communities of prayer. I need Ava singing her love songs to deliver me of all the trauma I've walked through in my life. 
to break the spirit of fear off of me, to break the spirit of anxiety. I need her just being her, not even trying to sing over. She's just looking at Jesus and singing. And because of doing it with her, I'm receiving of the grace on her life. And it's delivering me and it's freeing me. It's washing me. We live in the most traumatized generation. And do you know how Jesus is going to heal trauma? One of his greatest ways, he's going to heal trauma. It's going to be prayer rooms of love songs to Jesus. You need to try it. The musicians are prophesying on their instruments. What it does is it takes the divided areas of your soul and it unifies you. I believe this is what the Holy Spirit is among his big stuff he's doing. And I've got so much zeal in my heart. I'm saying, God, this is what I want to do for the next 40 years. I want to I build praying people and I want to build praying churches. And my number one way to do it is coming in here and getting a chair and sitting in it. I believe it's praying people that make praying churches. It's living stones that are fit together to make a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We must cultivate private prayer in order to strengthen corporate prayer. Teach us to pray is coming to the center in this hour. Leadership's prayer lives that disciple others. They ask Jesus to teach them to pray. I've found for people who don't cultivate private prayer, you'll look to public prayer to be your main source, and it will turn into a soaking session versus a governmental session. I love soaking. But I want to instruct you, I love soaking corporately, but I want to instruct you to also soak at home so that when it's time to shift, you can shift. And we've got to learn how to shift into government. Because we're not just singing love songs. This is how God governs. We're releasing decrees, releasing words that are stronger than the White House. The future of America is not resting in the White House. It's not resting in courthouses. Yes, we do all of those. We stretch all of those. But the pri- my primary and God's primary governmental centers are prayer rooms across the earth. This is how we shape culture. This is how we shift legislation. This is how we shift people's hearts. This is how we bring forth the will of God into the earth. It's through song and prayer in prayer rooms. Do you believe that? We come through the door of thanksgiving around here. Thank you. It's good to be here. I become present. I become present. I leave the stuff of earlier and I get out of the worry of tomorrow. And I become present and I say thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you who have all that you've done. Thank you for what you've done, what you're doing and what you're going to do. And I'll enter into gratitude. I let gratitude exude from me. Let it turn into that incense that burns off of you. I want to live a life of thank you. Thanking him for everything. Start with the, with the trees and start with the, all the stuff. 
but come into that deeper sense of gratitude, of breathing gratitude. We enter in through that door, and it's mostly just to get us present, get us filled with gratitude, get us filled with connection with his heart. And as we come through the door of gratitude, Holy Spirit will always take us into the next room, which is called worship. And that's when you turn into one of those four living creatures. And you start surrounding the throne of God, and you begin to look at God. And you begin to gaze on God, and you begin to discover his beauty, his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his power, his righteousness, his justice. And you will begin to search out God. Do you know what I'm talking about? God wants to turn you into one of those four living creatures that look at God and get lost in him. And in that worship set, we look, beauty, mercy, grace, kindness, justice, wisdom, power, goodness, gentleness, wisdom, power, power, power. You are the Lord God omnipotent. You reign. You reign. Your power is limitless. There's nothing you can't do, God. You are the God of the whole earth. There's nothing you can't do. And God begins to take one diamond of who he is and begins to catch you up where for the next 20 to 30 minutes, you're lost in the discovery and the declaration, God is powerful. And as you feast on the power of God, the first commandment, you get lost in seeking God and loving God, God will always bring you in the place of prayer he will always bring this to your attention. What about the others? What about other people that don't know my power? What about people that are in your life, your families, people outside this room, the church of Dallas-Fort Worth, the church, the nation? What about others? Come, Corey, come and join my son in the eternal ministry of intercession of speaking weak words and watching weak words change real people's lives for history. The power of intercession is where God says, what about the others? It's not just about you and how you feel in this prayer meeting. It's about you taking the faith of encountering who I am and that bolstering you to say, God, release your power over there. See, intercession transcends time and distance. I'm speaking real words in real time to a real God that's affecting real lives. <laughs> it's amazing. Intercession is telling God what he tells you to tell him. Intercession is declaring his word, singing his word. This is who we are. I expend the forever on this. I've found in my life the great boomerang effect of prayer is that give and it shall be given. I have gotten through more funks in my life when I've chose to quit worshiping my funk and put, put the word of God on my lips and begin to declare it for other people. Begin to invest yourself into other people and watch whatever that thing that you brought in with you knocked off of you and God begin to give you his perspective. All right? So I'm excited. I, I, this is our home. We love Frisco. And I can't wait to find my little spot in here 
where I get over here at 6 a.m. and I'm spending 6 to 4 and just buzzing in the room and being in the room. That's what the Lord called me to do a long time ago. Everybody's got different callings. I think that's mine, and I love what I do. It's hard. But it's what I'm called to do, and I want to I be an evangelist to fill this room. I want to be an evangelist. I want to find the singers and the musicians saying, I don't care if there's nobody in the room. I don't care. I've done it for years with two people in the room. But I, I'm already settled that there's a lot more people than whoever's in the room. There's 10,000 times 10,000 angels that were standing before, and we're blowing open a door over North Dallas that's releasing a shift in the culture and a shift in the atmosphere. We're not having a good service, and it's not based on how much I feel. And I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, this is where we're moving into. Let's do this. The earth is in transition. And I want to do more than just have opinions. I want to be about something. I want to be about something in this hour. I want to wake up tomorrow morning and say, God, what does this look like for my life? Help me, God, as we start this new year. And I just ask you to stand. Lord, we love you. And I, I know it's, I know I've just been preaching your head off, but whatever. Because I'm feeling the, the, here we are, our nation is pained, a lot of grieving, a lot of pain. It's only going to be a unified church that's going to heal a divided nation. I'm like, God, we've got to get, we need the wineskins built. We need nets that are built. We need to move into a different way. We need humility back in the church. We need slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to become angry back in the church. We need a humility about us, a meekness. That's why, brother, I love what he read in Matthew 11. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Learn from me. And, Lord, just open up your hands. And I just want to pray just here at the beginning of 2021 for Upper Room Frisco. And I want to call on the singers and the musicians here. Jeremy made the call. We're going to be doing a lot of training coming up, but you guys. But I just want to pray for just the anointing of prayer, personal prayer, corporate prayer. God, I just say I love you so much, and I'm so glad to be here. Father, I just pray right now that you would just rest upon every person, and I want you to hear the even them. There's three things that I have in my heart. One is come to the prayer room. Find those times, show up. You won't feel most much most of the time, and that's the cool part. Number two, if you screwed up royally in 2020 and you're limping even right now, I want you to know that there's an even them over your life. If you've screwed up in so many ways, you've wasted so much time, I want you to know that you especially qualify for this invitation. The devil will tell you you don't qualify. Well, that's the whole point. Everyone's jacked up, and we're all in the need of the grace and the mercy of God.
And I just want to invite every one of you to come out of your shame and your guilt. Song of Solomon 2, he says, let me see your face and let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. No one else can pray your prayer but you. No one else can sing your song but you. And he tells 10,000 angels to shut up when you look at him. Look at him right now. I dare you. I dare you to look at him right now.